This podcast is brought to you by the American Enterprise Institute. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, review, and share. Thanks for listening. Here's our show. What in the hell's going on? What the hell is going on? What the hell is going on? <laughs> I don't know what the hell he's talking about. You don't have to know what the hell is on it. What the hell's the matter with these guys? We don't know what's going on. What the hell's going on? Who in God's name knows what it's all about? Hi, I'm Danielle Pletka. And I'm Mark Thiessen. Welcome to our podcast, What the Hell is Going On? The Banking Edition. Mark, what is going on? <laughs> well, the Silicon Valley Bank and another bank, uh, Signature Bank, have failed. And the uh, Biden administration has stepped in to make the depositors whole with a bailout. They're not bailing out the investors. They're not bailing out the bank itself. But you know, normally, all of us who have money in the bank, up to $250,000 of that is guaranteed by the FDIC. And uh, we know that that is intended so that normal, you know, ordinary Americans don't lose their shirts if a bank fails. But Silicon Valley Bank, only about 11% of their deposits were in that range. Yet 100% of their deposits are being guaranteed by the FDIC. And so there's a sense here that uh, the Fed's policies and the, uh, and the government's policies and sloshing around a lot of money in the economy have fueled the failure of this bank and that now a lot of you know millionaires and billionaires in Silicon Valley are getting a bailout in response to that. It must be nice to have friends in high places is all I can say about this. We talk about this with our guest, Mike Strain, AEI's Director of Economic Studies. And he explains, I think, very clearly in a very lucid and not particularly tabloidy way exactly what happened, why it happened. But bottom, bottom, bottom line is that it's galling to think that if you are loosey-goosey with your money, you don't diversify, you don't worry about where you keep it or about the quality of the bank that your deposits are in, don't worry Janet Yellen and Joe Biden are going to be there for you using the guy at the corner store and your janitor's tax dollars to bail out those people. Yeah, that's a problem. And, you know, I know the circumstances are different here, but we spent a lot of time on this podcast talking about the impact of the sort of the populist revolution in this country and politics. It all started with bank bailouts. It all started with uh, Too Big to Fail and all the rest of that in 2008, which is what started the Tea Party Revolution, which turned into the MAGA Revolution, which turned into, you know, all the political transformations that have happened. And this it turned into Donald Trump. It turned into <laughs> Donald Trump and it's turned into everything that we're struggling with right now as we go into. 2024. And, you know, there's an added problem here politically. I guess we can talk to the politics as Mike's going to talk to the economics of it. But this isn't just any bank. This is Silicon Valley Bank. And Democrats are seen as being in bed with big tech. And big tech is not very popular with the American people right now for a number of reasons. And, you, do, you know, you just had the Biden administration that is bailing out college students with student with student loan forgiveness, taking money from hardworking blue collar Americans who never went to college and using it to forgive the debt of people with graduate degrees and doctors, lawyers and Wall Street executives. And that has already roiled our politics. And now Silicon Valley Bank coming to the federal trough to to get its share of money. This is just 
politically, I fear it's going to add fuel to, and justifiably so, add fuel to the fire of anger in ordinary America, where Americans have now racked up more credit card debt during this period of inflation than at any time in our history, a trillion dollars of credit card debt. No one's coming to bail them out. Right. But Silicon Valley Bank, uh, you know, a billionaire with who put too much money in there and wasn't paying attention. He's going to get he's going to be made whole. And so that's worrisome from a political standpoint. So there is a reasonable way to talk about this. There is a reasonable explanation that the Biden administration could have given when they said whenever there is a serious bank failure, whenever there is a run at a critical bank in a particular industry, it does run the risk of contagion. And that, of course, does hurt moms and pops who have their money in corner banks, which might be affected by that contagion. So you think about this seriously, you try to figure out how it is that you stop the contagion without, as you say, bailing out people who have never had to think about, you know, whether they should buy a fifth Tesla or not. And this is a big part of the problem of this administration is they don't think about this kind of stuff. They don't present what they're doing. They believe that the federal budget is, in fact, a giant trough for their friends and people they deem worthy to feed at. And this is only going to fuel that, as you rightly say, our federal debt is higher than it has ever been. We are creeping toward a year very soon where the interest on our federal debt is going to be greater than the amount the United States spends on entitlements. And entitlements is the big hunking mountain in the middle of our budget. So all of this stuff actually merits a national conversation. You know, I don't I don't think Republicans have been hugely responsible in, in this regard either, but there has to be, and certainly Donald Trump, who, who threw trillions out the window before he left office, is partially responsible for starting this, this gravy train. Yeah. But, you know, we need to have a national conversation about this, just like if you and your wife or your partner owed more money than your house was worth, than your job was going to pay, you would sit down and try to figure out how to trim back. But no, the Biden administration doesn't want to do that. And Congress isn't going to make them, apparently. But I think what happened is, is that it's exactly the problem that you outlined, which has caused this problem, which is that, you know, the federal government shut down the economy. I mean, this is all if you want the evils of federal intervention and the implications of it, all of this is related to that, right? We shut down the economy during COVID for far too long. And we've gone through the evils of that in previous podcasts. And then we, because people were thrown out of work for no cause of their own, the government poured a lot of money into the economy to bail people out who were losing their jobs or losing their business and all the rest of it. As a result, trillions of dollars more than was necessary was thrown into the economy. Then people started spending as we as we opened up, and that spending through federal largesse unleashed inflation, which got out of control. People spent down their savings, and now inflation is still roaring, and they can't make you know they can't make ends meet. They've spent out their savings, and now they're racking up credit card debt because of inflation because they can't you know make ends meet. But all of this is the distortion of federal intervention into the economy by shutting down the economy, by pouring money into the economy, and all the rest of it. And it's also, as Mike will explain, uh, the federal government and particularly the Fed has a lot of blame 
for what happened with Silicon Valley Bank and that bank's failure. So we keep saying, as Mike says, maybe we should let Mike say. Everybody <laughs> remembers him. He is, everybody remembers Mike Strain. He's one of our best economic explainers. He is the director of economic studies at the American Enterprise Institute. He's written a wonderful book called The American Dream is Not Dead. You've seen him on TV. You see him all in Bloomberg. And uh, I, think he's, uh, I think he's a great guest for us to have on this. Here's our interview. Well, Mike, the name of this podcast is What the Hell is Going On? And never has this been more appropriate a name than for this, because many people are confused as to what the hell is going on. Can you tell us what the hell is going on with Signature and Silicon Valley Bank? <laughs> yes, uh, I agree with you that the podcast is aptly named with respect to this episode. You know, there are a few things going on. So there's a bank, or there was a bank, called Silicon Valley Bank that was very, very badly run, very badly managed. And the ways in which it was badly managed are, you know, a little bit technical, but basically they had a bunch of venture capital money. So their, their, their depositors were people who were heavily funded by VC. And, you know, banks take deposits and then they lend those deposits out or they invest those deposits. They hold some of those deposits in, in, in cash. This bank had an unusually large share of their deposits invested in assets, specifically in treasury bonds. And, of course, uh, over the last year, the Fed has been raising interest rates, which raised the kind of interest rates at which those treasury bonds could trade. And that reduced the value of the bonds, because as interest rates go up, prices go down for bonds. And so, you know, all of a sudden... That bank had a lot less of an asset value than that it would have had had interest rates remained low. And that caused a lot of concern. And that caused that bank to fail because the bank's depositors wanted to get their money out and perceived in this instance correctly that there was only so much money to be gotten out. And if you're worried that you're not going to be able to get your money out, that means you want to get your money out quickly. And you have kind of the classic run on a bank. After that, there was growing concern about kind of psychological contagion. There was concern that other banks that were linked to Silicon Valley, other banks that were linked to venture capital would experience bank runs. There was concern about the broader banking sector. You know, there are really big banks like J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, uh, and then there are a bunch of mid-sized regional banks like Silicon Valley Bank. And there was there was concern that people who had money in regional banks would want to keep their money in regional banks. And this all happened over the weekend. And there was concern that kind of an atmosphere of panic was being created and that the broader kind of regional banking system was at risk. And so yesterday, the Federal Reserve and the FDIC and the Treasury Department agreed to try and protect depositors, people who had deposits in the, in the two banks that failed, Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank. And in addition, to take measures that would kind of shore up confidence in the regional banking system in general. And you know, we're recording this podcast on, on Monday. And that's kind of basically where we are right now. And so it's not it's not clear how the rest of the week will unfold. Um, it's not clear what the broader 
ramifications of this incident will be will be if any. But you know, there are a lot of people who are you know pretty happy that the government stepped in to to try and steady the ship. And then I think there are a lot of people who feel like that wasn't the right thing to do. And you know, why are why are we why are we back to back to bailouts? Uh, and um, you know, I would expect that debate to, to continue for some time. So, Mike, I have to say this event brings out my inner populist. I don't have much of one, but if there's anything that brings it out, it is the notion that a mom and pop store is bailing out a Silicon Valley bank. And I don't think we should have any doubt that the taxpayer is bailing these guys out. But I want to start for a second at original sin, which is that over the last two or three years, there has been so much cash sloshing around in this economy that it has permitted people like the operators of SVB and Signature Bank to believe that times are going to be good for them forever. And that really wasn't the case. Talk through how the circumstances lulled them into thinking that they would be golden until they weren't. So when interest rates are low for a very long time, which of course they were since the 2008 financial crisis, you know, really up until about a year ago. There's a lot of money, as you say, uh, in the system. Money is money is free. Money is actually cheaper than free on an inflation-adjusted basis. And, and, you know, there were certainly periods of years where that was true. And if you're putting your money in bonds, you're not really getting much of a return. And so that incentivizes investors to put their money in stocks, and we've seen you know really large increases in in stock prices, and it also encourages uh, investors to put their money into riskier assets like startups, like Silicon Valley type tech companies, and that is what we have seen you know kind of in in general in the last five or ten years. And Silicon Valley Bank was a beneficiary of that, and a lot of people wanted the bank with them. And they had they were unusual in, in in a few ways. They were unusual in that they had a, a very narrow customer base. You know, a lot of these startups, a lot of these tech startups, a lot of venture capital related to tech uh, startups. A lot of you know, in general, a lot of commercial deposits. Most banks have commercial deposits and then have individual imp- uh, deposits. Uh, SVB had a lot of commercial deposits, and so that left their customer base quite exposed to to interest rate increases because what made a lot of their customers successful was uh, was a low interest rate environment. Then in addition, they were just really, really, really badly managed. The share of, of, of the money that the bank held that they put into assets was very high. The share of the money they had in treasury bonds was very high. Um, they did not diversify against the risk that interest rates would go up. And that was a substantial management failure. And so, you know, Danny, I think you're right to try and place Silicon Valley Bank in the broader context of free money that we were living with for 14 years following the financial crisis. But I think that, of course, that context was extremely important to this incident. But I also think there were factors specific to Silicon Valley Bank uh, and again, I would just highlight the really bad management of the bank um, as, as one of those factors that were that were specific to the bank that, that led us to where we are. 
But doesn't that make it even more appalling that after saying that they weren't going to bail out the bank and that they were going to seek a buyer for the bank, which is the appropriate course of action, that in fact, Janet Yellen and the Biden administration decided, eh, these people are so great. You know, so what if they mismanaged it? It's hard being a banker. Why don't we just take some of this lovely taxpayer cash and help them out? <laughs> yes, well, that would be bad. <laughs> um, I agree. You know, I, I think I think the, the the situation is moving is moving really quickly, and it's important I think to distinguish between you know kind of different kinds of bailouts. So, what happened here? The shareholders of Silicon Valley Bank have lost everything. They will not be bailed out. Uh, the holders of unsecured debt are, I think, completely wiped out, uh, or at least they're taking really serious losses. To my understanding, uh, the executives have all been fired. So this is not a bailout of the, the people who made the bad decisions of, of, of the management of the bank. And it's not a bailout of the shareholders. The shareholders uh, have, been, have been completely wiped out. What happened, two things happened. The first thing is that the FDIC, the Treasury, and the Fed have agreed to implement policies that will make all the depositors whole. So the shareholders will not be made whole. The shareholders are wiped out. The execs will not be made whole. The execs are wiped out. But if you had money in the bank as a depositor, then you will be you will be made whole. The second thing that our government did was to establish a, a lending facility to prevent contagion throughout the regional banking sector so that other banks, basically, so that if there were if there were more bank runs today, that banks would have access to the liquidity they needed in order to uh, honor their depositors. This was not a bailout in the sense that that you know, the owners of these of these companies or the managers of these companies were protected, but it was a it was a substantial action uh, designed to to protect depositors. Okay, but the FDIC insures deposits of up to $250,000, which is intended to protect ordinary Americans from losing their savings and their livelihoods because of the actions of elite, uh, you know, bankers and and financiers, their mismanagement of a bank, right? Only 11% of Silicon Valley's bank's assets were protected under FDIC, yet they are bailing out all of the depositors, right? So, you know, multimillionaire hedge fund people who had their money in the bank are getting bailouts. And the Biden administration says that no taxpayer money is being used for that. One, is that true? And why are they bailing out people beyond the $250,000 limit? So first of all, that's correct. Secondly, the answer to your first question is that the Biden administration, I think, is, is misrepresenting the situation. The taxpayers will, you know, be on the hook for this. I think that there are real questions about how much the taxpayers will be on the hook. I think this will be relatively cheap. And the reason I say that is because, you know, I think a lot of the money that we're talking about here in the in the Fed facility is insurance that won't be needed. I think setting up the Fed facility will prevent the need for the Fed facility to be used. If people know that because of this Fed facility, 
that if they go to their regional bank and they want to take out all their money, that every cent of that money will be there. They're not going to go to their regional bank and take out uh, all their money, and then there will be no need to use the Fed facility. Um, but with regard to Silicon Valley Bank specifically, uh, yeah, absolutely. The FDIC limit is, is a quarter million dollars. If you had a million dollars in there and you're a rich hedge fund guy or you're a, a Silicon Valley-based tech business, you're going you're gonna to be made whole under this program. The funding for that as an accounting matter is going to come from the FDIC. And so the funding is going to come from a fee that is assessed of banks, right? So all banks contribute to the FDIC's insurance fund. Then when a bank fails, the FDIC can use the money in that fund to protect deposits of up to a quarter million dollars. In this case, deposits above that will be protected as well. So in an accounting sense, the money is going to come from that fund. But, you know, who who ultimately pays that? I think some of that is paid in the form of lower profits by banks, and some of that is paid by people who have money in banks, by the three of us uh, and by and by millions of Americans. And so that is the taxpayer certainly contributing uh, financially to bail out people with really large balances in Silicon Valley Bank. You know, I think one of the reasons that the government did what it did was out of concern more for commercial deposits than for individual accounts. And so what do I mean by that? There are a lot of businesses that needed to to pay their employees today or that needed to pay their employees tomorrow or that need, need to pay their employees on Wednesday. And they had they had their money in Silicon Valley Bank. And we and again, as I mentioned earlier, Silicon Valley Bank had a relatively large share of their of their depositors were businesses and not individuals. And so, you know, do you want those employees not to get their not to get their paychecks? There are very good reasons to answer yes to that question, but because of what of what the government did, uh, you know, those employees will will all get paid. But you know, I'm not not trying to obfuscate. You're you're also right. You know, a, a billionaire who had a hundred million dollars in that bank will will also will also be made whole. At least that's uh, that's how the policy is currently set up. So, Mike, the Wall Street Journal editorial page today, in its very genteel, old lady-like way, ripped the (laughs) Biden administration a new one on what's happened. And one particular uh, part of it interested me. And again, you know, Mark and me, uh, well, I, I won't speak for Mark. I'll speak for myself to say, you know, I'm certainly no economist or even close. Uh, And so I'm going to parrot what this says and ask you what you think. So they write that Rohit Chopra, who is what they call the Elizabeth Warren acolyte on the FDIC, right? That's the Federal Deposit Insurance Board, is hostile to bank mergers on ideological grounds. And the purchase terms could be too onerous for some potential buyers. There they're talking about what should have happened which is that when SVB, when it came into difficulties, that they should have found a buyer, but that in fact the FDIC wasn't interested in them finding a buyer. So this is my question. Was there another way out of this? Wouldn't it have been more appropriate that they, for pennies on the dollar to be sure, eventually were sold to a J.P. Morgan, a Goldman Sachs, whoever wanted to buy this, you know, this obviously previously successful business. Why didn't that happen? 
So my understanding, which certainly could be wrong, is that there were there were real efforts made to find a buyer, but that the time crunch was just too was just too severe. You know, there was there was substantial concern about a bank run uh, this morning. We're we're recording this on on Monday. There was substantial concern about businesses that had to pay their employees today, businesses that had to make payroll today, and the kind of sirens didn't start wailing on this until Friday. And so that kind of left, you know, part of Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, and, and you know, a deal just, just couldn't come together. But I think you are, I think you are right that could have been another way out. And, and the journal may be absolutely right that hostility to mergers or, you know, other idiosyncratic preferences of, of people who are currently running the FDIC played a role in that. You know, another way that this could have that this could have been resolved is just to just to have you know let SVB fail and not protect the depositors and say, look, you know, you shouldn't have had more than two hundred fifty grand in in one bank, and you know that's um, you know a lesson that we need American society to understand in order to have a have a healthy banking system. And you know, yeah, it's terrible if you're if you're a business that goes out of business because you had all your money in SVB or a lot of your money in SVB. And it's terrible if you're, you know, a upper middle class person who you know, lost uh, uh, tens of thousands of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars because you had more than more than uh, 250 grand in there. But those are the rules. And if we never enforce the rules, then, you know, that that creates a whole bunch of its own problems. Another way to have solved this, you know, could have been to establish a Fed lending facility in order to prevent contagion, but but to but to also, you know, make sure that people who had their who had their money in Silicon Valley Bank only only had uh, the FDIC limit of a of two hundred fifty grand protected, and you know, I think we will learn more about what happened in the days and weeks to come. There was a real fog of war atmosphere, I think, over the weekend. Where you know a lot of rumors were were flying around, and it was unclear what the what the situation on the ground was. You know, even to people at the White House or at the Treasury Department who had really good sources of information. The other concern is, you know, we have the two hundred fifty thousand dollar limit, and now we've extended it to everybody, including the billionaires who had hundreds of millions of dollars in the in the bank. Is, was there going to be a move to? Universal uninsured deposit guarantee next. Well, to just extend this to all all banks everywhere. You know, I kind of feel like de facto that's where we are right now. Is that a good thing for our economy? No, no, that's not a good thing. Uh, and it's a discussion that I think we need to we need to have, and I think it's going to be it's going to be a I think a focal point of uh, of discussion in in banking regulation for quite some time. You know, Mark, you asked earlier about the billionaires. You know, maybe. 250 grand is too low, but maybe, you know, a billion is too high. And you know, maybe we need to, <laughs> maybe we need to figure out a better, uh, you know, a better cutoff to where if a bank fails and a business of a certain size has a lot of money in that particular bank, that they'll be able to make their payroll because the limit moves up from, from a quarter million dollars. But, you know, where you're not protecting people who have 50, 60, 70 million dollars uh, in, in net worth. And, and, you know, that's, I think, a very reasonable discussion to have. It seems like those are the people that the system wants to protect most. 
are the, are the people at the top. It's like it's like we're back at too big to fail, you know, which is where we were at the at the 2008 financial crisis. And see, if you want to know where the whole populist uprising that has roiled our politics for the last decade and a half started, it was with the bank bailouts and too big to fail and and popular anger at the fact that, you know, the government doesn't really care about my finances, but if a huge bank has trouble, then we're going to have a public bailout of the banks. Uh, isn't that a problem? That is a problem. And I think that a lot of people are reacting to this in that way. I do, I do think it's important to underscore again that the bank failed. Silicon Valley Bank has failed. Signature Bank has failed. And the government didn't make a marriage between that bank and a larger bank in a way that protected shareholders. Shareholders uh, weren't bailed out in this instance. They were completely wiped out. And the execs were completely wiped out as well. So I do think that this is a bailout of the of the depositors. It's a bailout of the people who had deposits at those banks. But it, I would not characterize it as a bailout of the bank. Fair enough. In the way that people think of that term, you know, kind of following the 08 crisis. So a last question for me. In some of the reaction, and again, you know, we're doing this, as you keep rightly saying, on Monday. God knows what's going to happen tomorrow. Something may be completely different. And uh, and a lot of the reactions are, you know, in the nature of hot takes. That's just the bottom line. You know, there are some serious reactions from regulators, from the House, from the chairman of the House Financial Oversight Committee, who seems quite concerned, and I think we'll probably use hearings to get to the bottom of this. But in addition, there are some pretty warmish takes from folks like our oft-spoken-of Governor Ron DeSantis, who blamed DEI policies for this, who blamed the, the bank's very prominent California-ish diversity, equity, and inclusion <laughs> policies. Now, you know, I'm willing to bet dollars to donuts that there probably isn't a single Republican donor among the uh, among the bank's shareholders and depositors. But DEI caused it to crash. What do you think about that? Well, I, I think that's ridiculous. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, it, I'm, I. I uh, <laughs> I was leading you there. Well, and, and, and I'm trying to think of something else to say other than that. <laughs> I, I, I think their stance on those issues had absolutely nothing to do with 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 what happened. I mean, look, you know, to, to underscore again, um, this was a very, very, very badly run bank. It was a bad bank. It was a badly managed bank. But Mike, hang on a second. You know, so for a lot of people who are looking at this and remember the FTX collapse and Sam Bankman-Fried, they say to themselves, okay, that guy was stealing money. He was not simply mismanaging. He was stealing. He was giving it millions upon millions to woke causes and Democratic candidates. And so, you know, by the force of extrapolation from nothing to nothing, that that may be the case in this instance. What you're really saying here is, no, these people were actually probably criminally incompetent. They were certainly extremely incompetent. You know, Sam Bankman-Fried may have been criminal and incompetent. Well, the jury is literally still out uh, on that. I don't think that uh, that Silicon Valley Bank, well, I should say, I am not aware of any allegation that Silicon Valley Bank broke any laws. But, you know, having looked at kind of the you know top line numbers in their, in their balance sheet, their management was extremely incompetent. They were, that bank was very, very poorly run. 
uh, that bank did an enormous disservice to anybody who had deposits with them, to all of their customers. And, you know, they should have gone out of business. And it is good that a bank that is that poorly run is no longer operating. So in Ron DeSantis' defense, we don't know that that was the case in the case of the Silicon Valley Bank, but there is a broad problem with this ESG movement where you have businesses and banks that are, rather than focused on bringing uh, profits to their investors, are focused on social policy to the exclusion of, of that. So it's a, it is a broad problem, but we need to do another podcast on that. But I want to broaden out a little bit. The justification for the uh, bailout here was that there was systemic risk, right? And the concern for the broader economy. And we've been talking about the wealthy people who are invested in Silicon Bank versus the ordinary uh, Americans who are struggling in this economy. Before this all broke, we were actually going to have you on the podcast to talk about a phenomenon that's happened with, you know, in a matter of about two years, two and a half years, we've gone to the point where thanks to all of the money sloshing around, as Danny put it at the start of this podcast, being poured into the economy, Americans' personal savings rates soared to the highest levels on record in 2020 during the height of the uh, pandemic when the economy was shut down. It looks like now those savings have plummeted to so among the lowest levels of personal savings rates in a very long time. And we just found out recently that credit card debt has gone to the highest level on record. It's going gonna, it's gonna to reach a trillion dollars in credit card debt. So it seems like the American people have gone from the highest personal savings rates, spending that all out to, to keep up with inflation, to now maxing out their credit cards to keep up with the cost of inflation. And at some point, that runway ends, doesn't it? You max out your card. What, what does that all mean for the, for the economy going forward? Uh, yeah, I, and is that broadly accurate? Yeah, I think that, I think I think that's broadly accurate. I mean, the um, you know, in response to the pandemic, Congress wrote a lot of checks to the American people, and you know, in part because people had got you know so much money from the government, and in part because there were real restrictions on their ability or willingness to spend money. You know, they didn't want to go out to dinner for a lot of that that period of time. They didn't want to get on an airplane and go on a vacation for a lot of that period of time. We saw trillions of dollars of savings pile up that otherwise wouldn't have, wouldn't have been there. And that has fueled extremely strong consumer spending. And that has really elevated the level of, of, of consumer demand for, for goods and services in the economy. And more specifically, it has pushed the demand for goods and services beyond the supply side of the economy's ability to meet that demand. And when you have demand go up a lot faster than supply can go up, uh, prices rise. And that's what we've been that's what we've been living with. And so one of the most important questions about the economy is for how long can consumer spending continue to run at this pace? You know, for how many months are we able to have consumers spending so much money? For how many months is consumer demand going to remain really, really hot? And you know, I think that for a while, consumers were were spending out of their savings. They were running down. They were running down their their savings. That's certainly still happening. But you're also right, Mark, that the consumers are 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 shifting to uh, spending a lot of money on credit and. You know, my view is that 
at some point, consumers are going to really slow down their spending. And, you know, there was reason to believe that that, you know, might have happened kind of in the early fall of 2020 after people were able to, you know, finally go on vacation again. It didn't happen then. There were some indications that uh, that it did happen late in the fourth quarter of, of 2022, but uh, it looks like, you know, data from, from early in 2023 indicate that consumer spending was still kind of growing, going strong over that period. And so, you know, maybe it'll be when uh, when consumers, you know, look at their credit card statement and say, you know, oh, oh gosh, I, you know, we really need to slow it down. Uh, but at some point, it's going to slow down. And when it slows down, that's, I think, when you're going to start to see a substantial weakening in the labor market. And that's when I think we'll be in recession. Walk that out. How, that, how does that happen? So people stop spending, businesses start laying people off. How does that work? How does that play out? So, you know, recessions, I think, are, you know, kind of deeply mysterious. I mean, the business cycle itself is very mysterious. Why is it that for some periods you see businesses hiring and hiring and hiring, and then for other periods you see businesses laying people off? Why is it for some periods consumers, you know, spend a lot of money and in other periods consumers don't want to spend any money? And my basic view on this is that you know, recessions are, are kind of ultimately about a loss of confidence. And I think the way that it plays out in this specific instance is businesses see, you know, the number of people coming into their shop going down. Businesses see that their sales for this week were lower than they were the same week a month ago. And businesses businesses have been have been on edge for at least a year. You know, when you know, when is the music gonna stop? When is when is this thing gonna turn around? And at some point, some of them are going to say, you know, I think we've reached that point. One of the reasons the unemployment rate is so low, I think, is because businesses are afraid to let go of workers because it's been so hard to hire workers. At some point, businesses are going to say, you know something, if I, if I lay some people off, it's not going to be this Herculean task to rehire workers. The experience I had hiring workers in 2022 is not going to be the experience I have when I need to hire workers again. And once once that mentality starts to shift, once businesses start to lose confidence that people are going to keep spending money at their store, once businesses start to gain confidence that even if they lay some workers off, it won't be impossible to backfill those positions should demand pick up again, then you're going to see layoffs happen and you're going to see the unemployment rate go up and you're going to see price inflation cool down. And that's the goal. That's the goal. The goal is, the Fed's goal is not to start a recession, but the Fed's goal is to push the economy pretty close to a recession. The Fed the Fed doesn't want the economy to go in reverse, but the Fed does want the economy to tread water for a little while in order to, in order to bring price inflation uh, back down to a more sustainable rate. Mike, sorry again for the hot takey question, but what's your best guess in terms of timing? I love hot takes. <laughs> Thank you. And hot pockets. <laughs> and hot pockets. Well, I do love hot pockets. <laughs> um, uh, what's my what's my best guess as to the timing? Yep. You know, I I expected that the downturn would begin in the fourth quarter of 2022, and I was wrong about that. I now think that the downturn will begin 
in the third or fourth quarter of 2023. You know, I don't think this is going to be, this is not going to be the kind of recession that we had following the financial crisis, which was, which was our, our last, our last real recession. I mean, we, we went into recession during the pandemic, but that was such an unusual event. So the kind of, the kind of last recession we had where there wasn't a pandemic was the, was the financial crisis. And I don't think the recession will, will look like that. You know, this will be the kind of recession where, you know, people like me go on excellent podcasts like this or television shows or wherever. And, you know, we say, you know, I think we're in recession right now and here's why. And then, you know, another smart person will say, well, I think you're wrong. And, and here's why I don't think we're in recession. And then at some point, six months later, we'll know who was right. I think this will be the kind of recession where the unemployment rate goes up, you know, by two, two and a half percentage points, but not the kind of recession where we have nine or 10 percent unemployment. Uh, you know, I think we're I think we're talking about a five or six percent, you know, maybe seven percent unemployment rate recession, not a 10 percent unemployment rate recession. So. Uh, it'll be, I think it'll be a pretty mild recession. It won't feel like the world was ending in the way that, that the recession following the financial crisis felt. Well, from your lips to God's ears. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Thank you so much. This is hard to understand, and it's it's totally. worth it. It's worth it to just take the time and try to dig in and to get beyond some of the, the rubbish, both, you know, laudatory and angry rubbish that we've seen out there about this. You know, good for people to understand what's going on. Thank you for helping. Yeah, yeah, no, I, to- I totally agree. It's um, it's a super weird situation. And, you know, I think the administration has done a absolutely terrible job communicating to the public about it. I think Janet Yellen made it worse over the weekend, you know, by going on the TV and saying that they're they're keeping an eye on you know some of these regional banks. I mean, imagine if you had money in one of the banks that the Treasury Secretary was keeping an eye on. You know, <laughs> what, a, what was she saying? Not what reassuring. A, what a ludicrous uh, thing to say, right? And so you know, nobody and, and they've just done a terrible job explaining what they did with this with this new Fed facility. Some of this stuff is 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 Dodd Frank. Too, they kind of tied the hands of the FDIC, which you know meant that you didn't have the Fed and the Treasury and the FDIC involved, and the president has to personally sign off and all this kind of stuff. And so it's just all it's just it's just been a communications disaster, I think, on on the part of the of the administration. Well, at least we did our job. Thanks again, Mike. Yeah, so this is a tale of the evils of federal intervention. It simply is. The Fed's loose money policies were uh, responsible for a lot of the problems at Silicon Valley Bank. And then the inflation that the government unleashed because of the the flood of money into the economy caused the Fed to raise interest rates, which made those investments that Silicon Valley Bank made in treasuries not worthless, but certainly worth a lot less and caused this whole crisis. I mean, on, on both levels, the federal government had a lot to do with causing this crisis. And now they're coming to the rescue and bailing out billionaires. It's a mess. The Obviously, the bankers, it was a very, as Mike Clint makes clear, is a very badly run bank, but we also have a very badly run federal government. We do. You know, there's a lot of talk about moral hazard, but the ultimate the ultimate hazard here, as you rightly say, is that no one has reined in the out-of-control spending uh, of the federal government. I'm looking with great interest 
to see what the Supreme Court says on the question of whether Joe Biden has the right to simply spend $400 billion writing off student loans for his friend's children. But I'm also disgusted that we require the Supreme Court to tell the President of the United States that this doesn't work. That is dysfunction 101. Congress should be there. Congress should be stopping this from happening. And our federal government should be working properly. Because after all, that is, you know, its job is to serve the American people, not simply to gobble up taxes and then spend money it borrowed from China. Yuck. Amen, Danny. Like the federal government is bailing out college and graduate school uh, students. It's bailing out Silicon Valley billionaires, but ain't bailing out the rest of us. <laughs> if you have comments, <laughs> folks, questions, suggestions, don't hesitate to reach out. Thanks so much for listening. Take care. Let us know what topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing us at whatthehell at AEI.org. Or you can reach us on Twitter. I'm at D Pletka. And I'm at Mark Thiessen. That's Mark with a C. Please rate and review the podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe, share it, comment on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to this. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.